like I said before, you know, I wasn't really a baseball guy. So mm-hmm. I started training athletes about 10 years ago. But I just thought this is, this is falling short of what these guys need. Like I can get you to a four three, but if you go up at Florida State and a four three forty is all you have to offer, eventually you're going to get washed out. Hey, and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. I am Jonathan Gellner, and thank you so much for being here. This episode is brought to you by Baseball Cloud, the official voice of data. Baseball Cloud's revolutionary software platform brings to life the numbers captured by TrackMan and FlightScope. This provides colleges, players, and facility owners around the world a turnkey product, allowing them to analyze their data using key metrics and custom visualizations on one intuitive user interface. Go to BaseballCloud.com to find out how you can have your own data analytics department for your program. Data has a story to tell, and Baseball Cloud gives it a voice. In this episode, I welcome Dominic Robinson, who's an experienced coach, mentor, and the founder and director of 3D Sports and Performance. During the show, Dominic dives into his past experience playing baseball and football at Florida State University and being an NFL player for the St. Louis Rams. We take a deep dive into what he has learned from playing from some of the world's best coaches in Mike Martin and Bobby Bowden. But he also discusses how 3D sports performance can bring the best out in youth athletes and how Dominic got his start in coaching baseball players. Ladies and gentlemen, here is Dominic Robinson. Dominic, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Uh, thanks for having me, man. I'm, I'm extremely honored with the guys that you've had on this podcast to be one of the guys in that, in that list, that long list of, of great people that I look up to and respect. And some of those guys are my mentors. Um, I feel, I feel uh, honored that you even thought of me. So thanks for having me. No, definitely. And, you know, we met at Bridge the Gap and we got to sit down and talk a little baseball and, and it's, I love, I absolutely love your background and I love that, you're not a baseball guy, or you didn't at least grow up a baseball guy, but you're a baseball guy now. And so talk to us a little bit about your journey throughout the game and, and how you really got hooked and how you started to just fall in love with the game of baseball. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. You know, I grew up really just kind of liking baseball. Um, I was always, you know, uh, around it enough, but I never really was immersed in baseball until I was probably about 20 so it's really interesting or unique when I'm in a lot of the settings like Bridge the Gap or a Palooza or any of these events, ABCA, and I'm around these guys who just have been in love with baseball since they were four years old. Mm-hmm. I got to fall in love with baseball as an adult, which is a really interesting, unique thing that most people don't get to experience. So all the things that I was learning, I may have been a little younger than 28. You know, I was learning as an adult where a lot of these guys had to unlearn some of the things that were taught poorly to them, or they, they were able to, or, or they were learning, they were adding on to their things that they learned from the time that they were very young. And mm-hmm. I wasn't really that way. I, I, played, I really loved basketball growing up. I played, I, and then I was, you know, I was able to play football professionally. And so, although I played baseball and I even played baseball at Florida State, um, I never was, you know, a, a truly immersed in baseball guy until even long after I was playing. 
Well, I love that. And, you know, while we're on the subject of uh, your background and you've got to play for some absolutely phenomenal coaches and you you did grow up and, and you played football, you played football at Florida State. And so talk to us about what you learned there and, and kind of what you've been able to take from that, from that experience. And even though it may not be baseball, I like to learn from great coaches of literally every profession. So what are some of the things that you took from your experience there? Yeah, it's pretty stupid, the experience that I was able to have. I, there's not many people that say that for the greatest coaches, period. Not the greatest coaches in college, not the greatest coaches in one sport, but mm-hmm. Bobby Bowden and my are two of the greatest coaches to ever walk the earth. Mm-hmm. And the fact that I got to play for them both, it's unconscionable. It's hard for me to even imagine you know, and, and when I'm back, I'm so incredibly thankful. And the, the, one of the things that I think had that both of them have in common, and this is something that I've tried to apply to my life is these were two people who cared about young men mm-hmm. first, like that was their priority. That was not a secondary thing. That wasn't a fake thing. That wasn't something that they tried to do because they wanted to win more games they legitimately cared about each and every player that they came in contact with or that they, they come in contact with and that showed. And so because of it, they get the result that they've, they've had, uh, you know, a, you know, a multitude of wins, but that was never the priority for them. It was never winning games first. It was always that we were respectful, that we honored the game, that we honored our teammates. Uh, that we took care of each other, that we respected the people who helped in the clubhouse, that cleaned the field, you know, all of those things. Mm-hmm. And um, and so because of it, we we won games. I was fortunate to win a lot of games. My my son was actually asking me the other day, what's the highest you were ranked? And at one time I was ranked number one in baseball and number four in football. Wow. And, uh, you know, that's a, that's a pretty cool thing. So we, we won a lot of games, but that was never number one. And you, you knew that in the way that they carried themselves completely. No, that's absolutely fantastic. And again, I, you, you couldn't have pegged two better coaches to be able to learn from and, 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 you know, get to play for. And you also shared with me and Connor Dawson, a story about Mark Bolger and, and whenever you were playing with the Rams and I, again, not a baseball podcast, but this is something that every single person, or, or not a baseball story, but this is something that everybody can take away from this, and just the attention to detail that happens at the professional level. So do you mind sharing that before we kind of lead into some baseball stuff? Uh, big time. I definitely want to share that story. I also, I want to share a story about Coach Bowden. Do it. I love it. Do you want to, want, want to do that now? Yes. Um so a couple of years ago, gosh, I can't even remember. It might have been 2012. I was trying to think of the 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 AFCA, the American Football Coaches Association conference that I went to. I, I believe it was 2012 in Dallas. And uh, I hadn't seen Coach Bowden. I finished playing in 2004. So you're looking at eight years. I want you to think about the fact that Coach Bowden had been coaching since 19, I don't know, 70 or something like that. So you have all the players before me, thousands of players. Then you have all the players, you know, from the eight years after I left. Coach Bowden is speaking at the convention. 
There's 20,000 coaches at the convention. He's, he just spoke in front of all these coaches. Not only were there 20,000 coaches there, but I would imagine watching him speak, he probably had hundreds of his former players who are now coaches that are also listening to him speak. And uh, he finishes speaking, and he's got security guards around him, and they're trying to rush him out. There's no way he's going to get out of there unless he has this security that's rushing him out. Um, you know, he's an 80 something year old man. He doesn't move, you know, like he, like he used to, mm-hmm. you know, he's not a spring chicken. He's getting rushed out of there by these security guards and everybody wants to talk to coach Bowden, right? He's so personable that everyone feels like he's their, their father or their grandfather. That's mm-hmm. the way he makes Bill. I just happen to be on the same path where we're, we're, we're going to meet at a cross section. And this was just, I wasn't walking to talk to him. I knew that he needed to get out of there. There was no way he could stop. I could see that everybody wanted to stop him. The security guards aren't letting, letting them stop him. I'm not thinking there's any chance that he would even notice me or recognize me or anything. I'm just walking to get to, to the elevator. He stops his security guards. He stops me. He begins to talk to me and mention to me the, my apartment complex that I grew up in and the sweet potato pie that my mother made for for him and his staff when they came to visit me in 1998. Wow. And he begins to name off my sister's names, Tiffany and Vanessa, my mother, and the meal that we had that night. Oh, my gosh. And, and I want you to think about the amount of recruits that he sat down and had dinner with. I want you to think of the amount of trips that he he's been on and the, the, the different apartment complexes that he's been in and houses and all of those things. The fact that he remembered the fact that he even spotted my face, I think is pretty, it's pretty extraordinary. The fact that he remembered me, my name, my accomplishments, he began to list off. I remember when you made this play. I remember when you made that play. You know, everyone remembers I made a big play in the Florida game. Everyone remembers that. But he was naming off random, you know, third down catches that I made against Wake Forest on the road. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember that game in Wake Forest. It was third and seven, and we hit you on that dig route for nine yards, and you made a phenomenal catch with the guy hanging all over you. This, that was the moment where I said, okay, this is a person who cared about people, and he made an effort that, okay, if this guy's going to play for me, I'm not just going to know him for his accomplishments, but I'm also going to, you know, I'm going to make an effort to remember his family, uh, the things that he enjoys. You know, he was invested in me as an individual and not just me as an athlete. To to the extent that you remember my mother's sweet potato pie, it's pretty ridiculous, man. I just thought, and he's 80-something years old. Then I leave that convention and I'm just awestruck. I just, I couldn't believe that just because I coach kids now too. Mm-hmm. And I'm going, ah, man, what was Jimmy's last name that I coached last year? Yeah. You know, I, at the time, I think I was a high school football coach and I'm going, man, I had a senior last year. What was, you know, I can't even remember that. And here's this great individual who had coached some of the greatest players of all time. You know, Charlie Ward, Deion Sanders, Chris Winky, Peter Ward, you know, he, he coached the best of them. And he remembers me, this, you know, uh, you know, this, this one off receiver who was, who was okay. And he remembered me and remembered my name, remembered my mom, you know, you would expect him to remember Deion Sanders mom, uh, <laughs> you know, but to remember mine, 
was 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 pretty extraordinary. Then I leave that that um you know that meeting. Shoot him an email. Just hey, thanks, coach. It was so good to see you. He was in Hawaii with his wife on vacation. He responded to my email within an hour. Mm, wow. And that really, really got me because I thought of all the texts and emails and things that I've put off and that I failed to return at that point. And I go, this guy has pulled in way more different directions than me. He's got way more going on than I have going on. I can promise you that. Like I said, I was just a high school football, you know, defensive coordinator at the time. For him to, 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 to care that much about me, that said something. That, that really spoke to me as a person. Like, I, I got to do better. I have to do better. We all have to do better at communicating with people, um, caring about people, pouring into people. And we can't just talk about it. You know, here's a guy that's, he's not just talking about it. When right. he tells you, when coach Bowden told me he loves me, he meant that mm-hmm. because he, for him to send that email, to return that email back to me at a timely matter, you know, within an hour while he's on vacation with his, you know, with his wife, he had already done enough. If coach Bowden never did anything for me. He had already done plenty, you know, uh, offering me an opportunity to play at Florida state. He didn't have to do that. So I, I want to share that story because I think that that's a common trait that I think great people have. I have a similar story with, with Mike Martin and we're really both Mike Martin since Mike Martin Jr. was, was my coach, the outfield coach. But uh, both of them have been so gracious to me since I've left Florida state. It's, it's unreal. You know, my son got to go in the dugout of a college world series when he was, I don't know, seven or something, eight, you know, at the college world series to meet James Ramsey, who was a phenomenal player at the time. James Ramsey gave him a bracelet, you know, just stuff that, you know, he, they don't, they didn't have to do that. I've, every time they've gone to the college world series, I've had tickets, you know, great tickets and with the families and everything. And they, they've really, they, they've been extremely gracious and they've been more than family for, for me also. So wanted to call that story out. No, definitely. That's absolutely fantastic. And no, you're you're definitely you're calling me out a little bit because I I feel like I need to get better at that and and man it's it's I've only been coaching for six years and Coach Bowden's coaching for sixty and the amount of names that right. you would have to remember at that time it's just that's absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, think about that, man. That, all of us that are listening to this podcast as coaches, you know, if we say we care, let's show it. Mm-hmm. Let's show it. You know, mm-hmm. and that that is to me that's the ultimate form. When you can tell me something about my mother who you met in 1998 and it's 2012 and I haven't played for you for 12 years and you're remembering my, my little dinky apartment complex that was, there's nothing special about it. It's not like, you know what I mean? It tells me that you, that's, that's a, the ultimate form of caring about somebody, you know, and that that's showing it, you know, in a way that I Honestly, like like you said, I couldn't do that at the time. You know, I couldn't do that about my current players, much less a guy that played for me 12 years ago and wasn't a star. You know, I wasn't necessarily a star at Florida State. You know, I was I was a guy. I was a starter. But that was really cool. That is very cool. Want to go Mark Folgers? Want to no, go Mark Folgers yeah. story so, now? So you got me fired up about <laughs> this because I – and I even told the kids that, that we work with just – or that I that I get to coach that the opportunity to coach here and and as soon as you told me that I was like this is one of those that I, I heard you know one of those primary sources that I love to hear things like this just because I think we as kids and I did the same thing 
we don't understand how much attention to detail it matters whenever we uh, are trying to make it to the major leagues or trying to make it to the NFL. But just tell us a little bit about Mark Bolger and the story that you told us then. Yeah, I just think it's a, it's such a great testament to excellence. And it also tells you, <laughs> it kind of tells you how great these guys that we watch on TV, like Mark Bolger's not going to go in the Hall of Fame. But after I tell this story, you're going to go, holy cow, this guy was so much better than everyone else. He's so much better than, uh, you know, some of the top level college quarterbacks that we, you know, we've been watching here during bowl season. And so I line up to run a dig. We're in one-on-one. We're in our one-on-one period. I run a dig. I make the catch. We complete the catch, you know, good route, good ball. You know, I turn up tuck as I jogging back to the quarterback. I could see that Bolger is just, um, he's just beside himself. He's, he's really upset. You know, he's, he's not like, he's not like throwing water bottles or anything like that, but you could see the look on his face as if he made a huge mistake. It's almost like he looked like he threw an interception. And I'm thinking, man, did I run the wrong route? I'm thinking, is he mad at me? You know, I'm a rookie. This guy's a pro bowler. And I'm thinking, man, I must've done something wrong. It's always you, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> it's always you. We're so selfish, right? We're always thinking about ourselves. So I'm thinking, man, I must've really screwed up. And, uh, you know, I hand him the ball back and he's patting his chest. It's like, my bad, my, my fault. Uh, I'm going, okay, we completed it. You know, like what mm-hmm. happened? It was, I wanted to hit, you know, the little cleft on the one. So I was number 18. There's a one and an eight. He, I caught the ball on the eight. So I went back and watched this on film because I was just amazed at this. I went back and look, I caught the ball on the eight. He said, I wanted to hit you on the cleft. Of, uh, he didn't say the cleft, but he pointed at my chest. And he said, right there on the one. I was trying to hit you on that one. And I was, I was behind. And I just thought, I mean, the, the distance that he missed was probably six inches at the most. And he was so upset. It, like I said, it was like he had an interception. And this wasn't a, this wasn't a coach-driven thing. Coach didn't get on him. Coaches, the coaches never NFL. They don't, they rarely get on anybody. They, they don't get on them. Uh, nobody had said anything to him. We, it was a complete pass. You know, we essentially we won. If we were keeping score, we won that rep, but in his mind, his self, you know, internal motivation there was so great that it was like a loss to him. He wanted to, he wanted so badly to hit me in that one that even though we completed the pass and we won that rep, wasn't a win in his mind. Wow. And I just thought, man, that is, that is excellent. Like that called me out because then I go back and I look at my route and I go, well, my route was, was extremely sloppy in comparison to that standard. Mm-hmm. If that's the standard that we're living by in the NFL, then I've got a long way to go because I was just happy we completed the path, you know? And he's thinking, he's thinking, man, I missed by six inches. It, it's a loss. It's an L. And I just thought, man, I, I got to do better. I got it. That's another, you know, just like the Bobby Bowden thing. It's, I got to do better because I, my expectation or my, my standard for myself was nowhere near that, where if I missed the route six inches that I would be that beside myself. Wow. That's, that's see that I love it. And it just gives me goose, goosebumps. Uh, you telling me that again, just because again, the attention to detail is, is so fine. And, and again, that's just, that's one of those things that if, you know, as a coach, 
if we don't have attention to detail and we're we're trying to train our players these different things and they're never going to learn it unless they get to a high level like that and that's just that's got to be the expectation and and so it's and and, and sometimes you know it, and it's tough for me as a coach because I don't want to be really attentive to details that don't matter but I also want mm-hmm. to be very attentive to the ones that do so I've kind of for myself I've kind of been trying to figure out you know and and maneuver those myself lately and that's just something that i've been trying to work through but but enough about that so let's let's talk about 3d performance and and what you guys are doing and how you know what what your what your journey is for that and and kind of your vision but just talk to us a little bit about that yeah so you know i started uh like i said before you know i wasn't really a baseball guy so i Mm -hmm. started training athletes about 10 years ago and i i started and i was really just to train. I was, like I said, I was a high school football coach and really wanted to work with getting football players, something different than just speed and agility training. So I lived in Tallahassee and everybody in Tallahassee, Florida was a speed trainer. Everybody was teaching guys how to run faster 40, which is fine. I, you know, I think running fast is the important, you know, aspect of any sport, but especially football. Mm-hmm. Fast guys are guys you want on your team, but I just thought this is just this is falling short of what these guys need. Like I can get you to a four three, but if you go up at Florida State and a four three forty is all you have to offer, eventually you're going to get washed out. Somebody's going to have a four three, and they're going to have a better. They're going to have more explosiveness. They're going to have more strength. They're going to be better in the classroom. They're going to be able to handle interviews they're going to be able to manage their time better so i want to provide something more than just run faster jump higher and so i that's that's where 3d sports performance started and at the time it was we were actually calling it d1 sports academy and um that's kind of how it all started and then i moved to dallas texas and while i was in dallas i was training a kid that was going on to play at texas tech and a parent me and they had believe it or not it was an eight-year-old and I'm, I'm a little ashamed of this now because this is an eight-year-old and i think the the idea of training an eight-year-old is uh is kind of <laughs> kind of silly but i needed the money at the time uh you know and uh so uh they had an eight-year-old and they saw me training this this football athlete who was a player at texas tech and that the, their kid played baseball mm-hmm. and they wanted me to to train uh, their their eight year old, so I started with him, and from that uh, I got another kid who I think was eleven. As I was training those two, a whole baseball program called the Texas Blackhawks, which I'm not even sure they existed anymore. Uh, they asked me to come train their guys, and uh, and it kind of just took off from there. And you know I've been in I've been in baseball pretty much ever since. I, I've had some I had a couple small breaks in between where I was coaching college football. I coached college football at Drake University, and I was at University of West Georgia for a little bit. And and so, yeah, so I've, I've kind of bounced around a little bit, but 3D Sports Performance has just grown and grown, and it's really turned into a baseball program, not intentionally, but um, my whole life has really been about answering the call. Wherever there's a need, uh, filling the hole. Um, I went to college as a defensive back, and I wasn't going to play baseball. The baseball program came to me, 
that they needed a center fielder. So I went and played baseball. Uh, the, the offense, Anquan Bolden blew out his knee. Uh, they needed a slot receiver. So I moved from cornerback to the slot receiver. You know, like I said, as a trainer, I started training for football players. There was a need. They wanted me to uh, train baseball players. I started training baseball players. It's kind of mm-hmm. been my whole life. It's just been uh, filling holes or answering the call to wherever the need. And um, so, yeah, so this, the baseball program grew from just a small 9U baseball you know, team of guys that we were probably like double A, maybe not even double A. Mm-hmm. We started and I was in Iowa. It was sort of just a ragtag bunch of kids who we we struggled catching fly balls to what it's become now this summer. You know, we won the USA team championships um, at 14U, and I've now got players 17 different states um, all across the country. I'm hoping to cross over 20 states uh, this summer, or just 20, 20 different states that you know have players play for me from 20 different states. And it's just grown into something that is just, it's, uh, it's hard to believe for me, because like I said, this was never the intention. I never, when I started, I was just trying to affect the group that I had. And there was these nine-year-olds who were about double A level that could even catch fly balls. And I was just trying to teach them how to catch fly balls. We'd spend an hour, you know, 45 minutes on learning how to catch a fly ball. And now I've got some of the, you know, I've got kids committed to stamp, uh, TCU, uh, Oregon State, one of the kids, Tanner Smith, who started with me actually when I was in Iowa. Mm-hmm. He was in Minnesota. We moved to Arizona, then he moved to Arizona, and uh, you know he moved to he moved out here with the dream to actually go play at University of Florida, and just, you know just felt like couldn't get it, you know get there from from Minnesota just the the competition level. He just accepted a, a scholarship or committed to. ASU or OSU, sorry, Oregon State, which is huge. It's big time, you mm-hmm. know, for a kid from Minnesota. So, yeah, it's just it's hard to believe, man. It's it's been really cool. No, oh, that's absolutely fantastic. Well, say that I called and I'm a I'm a potential client, and I said, Dominique, I w- I want to start training with you. Let's say in the off season, so uh, August. So, what would kind of the first day look like, and then kind of lead us through what a typical off season looks like for you guys. Yeah. So, you know, I guess to start, the first thing I would say is there is no off season. We call it the training season. The the first season or the August, to, you know, kind of December is what we call training season. Then we go from the training season to the preseason and preseason to end season. And each season sort of has its own sub season, you know? So, so in season, there's times where we're in season and there's, there's times where we can get after it and we, we need to, as far as like in the weight room or, uh, you know, agility training or whatever. And then there's times in season where we're just letting it eat. We're, we're not caring about any sort of performance goal um, or anything like that. So that would kind of be a sub season, you know, while in season, same thing with off season, obviously, or not off season, but the training season, obviously in the beginning, you're, you're assessing the damage done from the season. Some guys have had a bunch of time off, especially here in Arizona, because it gets so hot that you can't play at all in July and August. Those guys would start and 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 they would be able to start their on ramp, you know, right there in August or September. Some guys will play; they'll they'll take part in a lot of the USA baseball stuff, 
So they 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 don't need to honor him. They need some they need some time from thro- they need some time off from throwing. They really need to be as far away from baseball as possible. So you know we we're not looking at any sort of baseball type movement. We're sort of you know you know kind of what we what you know I think Jaeger you know Jaeger calls it you know um, active rest. You know so we're hoping that they're playing another sport. You know, in addition to the strength training, we're hoping they're they're getting ready for football season or basketball season or whatever. So, so yeah, so so I would say that beginning August to September is the time where we're really just focusing on, uh, you know, uh, again, two different things. If I've got a guy who's been ramped up and playing, and he, you know, he made the USA national team and he was overseas or whatever, and he was playing and he was playing at a high level, you know, we're going to scale back you know, how we're getting after it for that first month. Sure. If I've got a guy who has had that time off finished in July, let's say in, in August, you know, we're going to, we're going to get after it. You know, the, I guess the beginning for everybody though, is always going to be about establishing a foundation of, of fitness, establishing a foundation of strength, establishing a foundation of movement and understanding what my expectation is for them. That's, that's kind of the biggest thing is do the player, do your players understand your expectation? Is it clear and precise? If they don't understand the expectation, then all of the things that you're going to want to do in, you know, uh, you know, doing the, the driveline, you know, velocity days, you know, increasing your exit velocity and all this other stuff, none of that's going to matter come November, December, if they don't first understand your expectation of all the things that you're going to do in August, September, October. So that's, that's kind of, that would be the first step is like, we're going to, you know, assess where they're at as far as when they finished competition. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to figure out, okay, when's the best time for us to begin that competition, you know, when do you desire to compete? And then when do you need to be your best? Most of my guys don't need to be their best really until probably March, you know, towards the tail end of March. And then uh, most guys, obviously with high school here, uh, you know, the state tournaments are in in May. Mm -hmm. So they're going to need to be best in May, June, and July because that's when all the USA and the perfect game stuff is going to happen. So those things are really important to establish first is, okay, when did you finish? When are you starting back up? You know, you need to be back up. And then when do you need to be your best? And I think that's where a lot of people screw it up is they forget that they need to be their best like eight months from now. They're so excited for August. They're so excited for September. We're going to get so much stronger. We're going to get so much faster. But they're forgetting that it's not for till you know it's not for nine months that you have to be your best. Right. You got to scale it back. You cannot be in peak performance level in December at 13, 14, 15 years old, which is the, most of the kids that I get are probably 13, 14. You cannot. You, there's no chance you will be your peak in December. And then also go play in front of UCLA in July and expect to get the best out of yourself mm-hmm. or whatever school it is. And that's the, the biggest thing. And that's kind of the hardest thing to impress onto the parent is understanding that side of 
the parents, they want to play, play, play. They want to play now, play now, play now. Everyone else is playing. We got to play this show. Go to this showcase, go to that showcase. And I'm so tired of, I don't, I'm so done with hearing about these showcases really from September to December. And it's driving me insane. And I just keep saying this is that why are you showing up to a showcase with nothing to showcase? I'm so sick of a guy that's going to a showcase in October and throwing such a, such a say he's throwing 70 poo. Mm-hmm. And then he's going to go two weeks from now. He's going to show up to a different showcase for what, what do you show? Nobody wants to see you touch 73. Like that's not, there's nothing you're not, there's nothing to showcase there. Spend that money. Those time, spend that time, spend those resources on getting stronger, getting more athletic. You're out of shape, you're overweight, you haven't done anything in two months, and then you show up to a showcase. It's, uh, it, it, it's just that, that part's driving me crazy about, about just youth sports in general. And, and, and baseball is, is really bad with that. It's just, I don't mind a showcase in the fall, especially because I used to live in Iowa, and those guys, they actually play, their high school season is in July. Mm-hmm. So the big tournaments where they can showcase themselves, they can't even go to because their high schools are playing. Right. So I don't mind. I don't mind there being a showcase in September and October for those guys. I had a kid actually from Iowa that came out here for the uh, senior fall classic and did very well. He needs to do that. He has no choice because no one's ever going to see him play. The schools that are watching here for the senior uh, fall classic, they're not going to Iowa to watch him play. There's there's not there's not enough good baseball out there. Um, for them to to travel out there, so he's got to do it. So that so that's uh, one of the things that is driving me crazy uh, about the baseball. So we we spend that time when everyone else is showcasing. We're spending that time getting strong, getting faster, um, improving our movement, improving our strength, um, really just getting more athletic. My biggest thing is athletic development. So all these things that I'm talking about are all lead to athletic development, your strength, your agility, mm-hmm. all of those things. And that's what, that's, that's kind of, I started doing that when nobody was talking about so some of these things that everybody's doing now in, in regards to movement prep and things like that. I was doing hitting lessons with not very good hitters and, and, and things like that. And I was spending 30 or 40 minutes without swinging a bat. Before that was cool to do it. Now, now people are doing it. But I, I've been doing that for a long time because I am a firm believer that athleticism is king. No, definitely. And it's, it's everything. Yeah. No, it's, definitely. Athleticism is everything. Let me take a few seconds to tell you guys about OnBaseU. OnBase University is an organization that studies how the human body moves in baseball and softball. They offer certification seminars that teach coaches, trainers, and medical professionals how to assess an athlete's physical ability to perform movement patterns that are specific to hitting and pitching. For example, they just put up a blog post on their website, onbaseu.com, that discussed why hip internal rotation is important in hitting and how they evaluate it with their OnBaseU screen. If you want to learn more about OnBaseU, I did a podcast with the OnBaseU founder, Dr. Greg Rose, episode 78, and he talked about how he modeled the screen after golf assessments that he created for TPI. 
They are hosting pitching and hitting seminars in Phoenix, Newark, and Houston over the next few months. I will be attending one soon, and I hope to see you there. I'm right there with you, and I think that, you know, sometimes we get hung up on kids playing multi-sports. Well, I think the kids that are the best athletes do play multiple sports, and for the rest of us, you know, especially the the baseball-only guys, uh, training athleticism is at a paramount for sure, but... You know, uh, scaling it back to, you know, first day or, or you know, the first couple of, of times that you're with them, something that I am trying to get better at is just assessing the players. And and you hit on that a little bit, especially from the mental mm-hmm. aspect of, of what to expect. But what do you have on uh, physical assessments and what do you guys use for that? And if there's any advice for coaches who, you know, like myself, who who were not in the performance world, but we would probably like to try something similar. Do you have any advice for us? Yeah, my, this is my best advice, and I brought this up at, at Bridge the Gap, is get yourself or figure out a very thorough warm-up. And I am just, I, I couldn't tell you how paramount I believe the warm-up is. And my kids are so probably done with me, you know, is stressing the importance of the warm-up. Because the warm-up can be, in addition to obviously lifting you up, getting your central nervous system going, you know, lubing up your joints and all of that stuff, you the warm up is a place where you can establish your, you know, your speed development program. A warm up is where you can work on your movement, uh, your flexibility, your mobility. Warm up is where you, as a coach, can assess where are the players, how sore are they, how are they moving. You know, do they understand what I ask of them in a squat, um, in a lunge, all of those things? So there's so many, there's so much information and there's so many things that can happen within the warm-up. And what we do miss, I think a lot of times is a warm-up happens pre-strength workout. So it's pre-your weight room. Mm-hmm. You have a warm-up pre-game. You have a warm-up pre-practice. You have a warm-up prior to everything else you do. So it's the one place where you can develop the most. It's the one thing that you do the most. If you think about you know, a year, let's say you have 180 opportunities to play games, train, practice. You, know, you have a warm-up pre-practice. I don't think I mentioned practice. So you have a warm-up. That, that's a, that, let's just say that's 180 out of 365 days. Let's just say that's 180 opportunities to work on your movement and you don't ever even have to have a movement prep period per se mm-hmm. or a speed development period. You can build those things into the warm up, And so those are the opportunities that you have that are good, that are going to be there. And it makes you more time efficient. the kids begin to learn what they need. You also put it on them to know and understand the warm up. And know and understand the different facets of the warm up. Like we may have a linear movement uh, warm up and a lateral movement warm up. The more you do it, the more the kids understand it, they can carry it out there on their own. And then also they can now understand what their body needs mm-hmm. because we put an emphasis in it. And coach is out there, he's active, he's engaged. So I'm always talking to the kids during the warm up. I'm always, like I said, I'm always assessing kind of how they're moving, how they're feeling, uh, the stresses that are, have been put on them. Sometimes it's school, 
sometimes their girlfriends or whoever it is, you know, are driving them crazy. Their parents are driving them crazy. Those are things that you need to know, you know, as you're doing it. So, uh, you know, so that's my biggest, you know, advice to, to most coaches and kind of one of the places where I think people miss it is we just tell the kids or, you know, me, I don't do this, but in general, just just tell the kids, Hey, go warm up. Mm-hmm. You know, a long time ago, you know, Jager taught me or told me, you know, you don't throw to warm up, you warm up to throw. And that's a really important thing you know, that I learned um, because early on, and, and I'm talking way back, you know, I would have the kids throw and then I would go through a warm up. I've always done a, a dynamic warm up, you know, pre everything, but I used to have them throw first and then warm up. And this is before I was using J bands. Once I started using J bands, that changed. But, but yeah, so that's, that's my biggest advice to everyone is get yourself probably, you know, at, at least have like three warm ups that, you know, like the back of your hand that, you know, really well, and then pound those warm ups. like I said, and maybe a linear lateral and maybe like a, you know, a heavy mobility where you're not, you would say you don't have a lot of space, you know, so you say you're stuck in the, in the weight room and you can't stride out for 10 or 15 yards, you know, have a, a, a warm up where you can be in place that you could do like say in your living room. Mm-hmm. That way you can tell the kids, Hey man, we, we don't have training tomorrow, but go through, go through your mobility warm up. And now they can do that on their own and they have no excuse to do it because they don't need a bunch of space. They can't say, Hey coach, I don't have a football field in my backyard. Right. They do. You could do that in your room, you know, so have something like that and make sure and, and just drill it. And then you have these checkpoints, man, on that side lunge, you know, Johnny looked really good today. So he must be feeling good today. We can push it a little bit harder if you're in the weight room per se. We can really push his lateral, you know, uh, strength today because he's he, he's feeling good. Man, he's not looking really good today. We we may need to scale back the the weight or the the you know the load or or the intensity maybe needs to be scaled back. All ten of my kids that I have or fifteen or whatever it is, they're all looking like they're moving a little stiff today. Let's spend a little bit more time in the mobility flexibility portion today, and uh, you know maybe scale back some of the strength or the speed stuff if you're working on a speed day things like that you can use that warm-up it's a it's a utility belt you know you can use it for so many things oh definitely and and you are you're preached to the choir a little bit because i've been guilty of that completely and usually i get stuck dragging the field or getting setting up for the different drills but using the warm-up and and you know i'm, I'm obviously not as good as at assessing you know their different physical ailments or or how they're feeling as uh, I'm not as good as you are but I do use that to kind of assess where they are mentally and you know how was their day or just getting to know them better and and walking around and and asking them how their day went or and usually you get good and so you have to ask another question hey well what was good about it what was something good that happened today or what'd you do this weekend or you know just random questions like that but something that I that I've always been curious about is you know should we change our warm-up daily should we because what happens is we get one really good dynamic warm up. We make sure the kids know it, and then we do the same thing all season. And I, depending on your answer, I I don't know if we'll disagree or agree, but I think that there's a a way that they, like you've been saying, to get better every single day 
uh, in their warmup, we can we can use a lot of different things to add to that to that we see uh, as far as physically. We can add that to the warm up so they can work on those, work on their deficiencies while warming up, and that's just killing two birds with one stone. But like like I said myself, we usually use the same warm up all year long just because that's what the kids know and that's what's easiest. But is that the best way to mm-hmm. do it? Or how often should we change it if we do decide to do that? Yeah, I think what you want to do, you want them to have staples. You want them to have something that they always can get done. You know, it's it's probably somewhere between the first three to five minutes where this is what we do. And, it's, and it doesn't necessarily mean you have to do it all the time, but it's something that you want them to be able to do unconsciously. Mm-hmm. That's, that's sort of their time to figure out where they're at, you know, and, and it is for you too, but it's something it's their time where they're kind of figuring out, okay, man, I am dragging today. I am not feeling good. And then from that, you know, from that point, that's where it's okay. We either go into the speed development, you know, type stuff, or we go into our, our lateral movement type stuff, or we go into okay, now it's a really heavy mobility day because we are sore as heck and we got to get moving. You know what I mean? And I think that's, that's what I've found has, has worked best where I want to shock them. I want to shock the system at certain points. Um, at certain points, they get really stagnant in that, you know, the hallmarks of the warm-up. Mm-hmm. They get really where they stop. It stops being a uh, part where they, like you said, where they are getting better. They're not really getting anything accomplished. And so, uh, you know, periodically, that's where I want to, you know, show up and throw, throw them some curveballs, so to speak. Okay. I want to throw in some different things, some different aspects. And you just you don't want to get too crazy, but you want, again, like I said, you want to shock the system a little bit. You want, you don't, we want to keep them on their toes. What happens is that it kicks them into a conscious state where they're now thinking about different things. They're thinking about movements. They're thinking about their bodies. You know, it'll help you get a little bit, a little bit better proprioception as you move on. You know, I add, I'll add like tennis balls where they've got to toss tennis balls to each other as they're moving and things like that. And it gets them locked in to, you know, hand-eye coordination, it gets them locked into some different things that they're not, they typically don't have. Um, in order to shock the system. So, yeah, I do think it's good to, to change it up. I do, I do not like to do the same thing. The, the part where I guess I'm a little funny or whatever is I'm extremely, I will not turn over the warm up to any other coach. Mm-hmm. Like I'll never let that, that is, that's my baby. And I am always, always there. So I'm constantly assessing where they're at. And so the warm up is never a set amount of time. And I've told the kids this before. We have like, say something crazy happens and your bus gets delayed and your bus driver doesn't show up or you get in a crash on the way to a game and it's a five o'clock game and, and you show up at 4.30. I'm not cutting the warm up. So that we're either starting the game late and you get taken out or do whatever it is you got to do or we're all we're doing is the dynamic warm up, and we're not throwing. And you can get your throws, you know, in the during the first inning and in between innings. That's when you'll get your throws. Um, I've let the, the the kid. That's one of the things that the kids know about me. We will always J band, and we will always go through a warm up 
uh, pre-game, pre-practice, but and it uh, we we may not swing, we may not. There's a bunch of stuff that we may throw out, but that's how important the the warm up is. But what I was saying is a lot of times the or the warm up for me is never a set amount of things. So again, there's the staples, there's the hallmark of the warm up. And then as they're going, I'm seeing, okay, they need a little bit more of this. They need a little bit more of that. And so now I'm sprinkling things in. So it, the warm up could end up being seven minutes. It could end up being 27, just depending on what we need to get accomplished that day. And like I said, depending on how they're moving and, and you know the tempo that they're moving at, some days your guys are going to be moving at great tempo and you're going to get the warm up done in four minutes. And it's normally a 10 minute warm up. And that's, there's nothing wrong with that. If that's the case, then go ahead and move on. You just you just picked up some some time for your practice or your your lift or whatever it is. Don't just stretch it out to ten minutes just because you have ten minutes blocked. And the same thing, just because you have ten minutes blocked for the warm up doesn't mean you shouldn't go seventeen minutes. If that's what they need that day, I will compromise other parts of my practice or my training to have a longer warm up. Then I will I'll do that before I'll I'll cut the warm up short and then keep the, the practice part, you know, the same amount, the, the allotted amount of time I'll cut from my practice to have a good warm up. That's how important I think it is. No, I love that. And I love that the different perspectives that you're giving uh, with that, but I, you know, something else that, that I'm really interested to hear you speak on and that speed work. So uh, what do you have for that? And, and what can we steal from you? You know, <laughs> speed work is, um, is uh, really interesting in that the, the biggest thing and the biggest mistake that baseball you know, is or are making or whatever, is just lack of, of rest and lack of allowing guys to run full speed. So my biggest advice to you is work as you're working in the weight room, as you're working really do anything, make sure your guys understand what it is to be fully recovered. So anytime that I sprint, I want to be somewhere between 95 and hundred percent capacity, hundred, you know, 95 to hundred percent recovered. And I'll be honest, young guys, you know, really, again, the age that I work with 13 to 15, they don't know what that is. Like guys will all tell guys, Hey, wait till you're hundred percent. And they'll be still, they'll still be panting when they get back up to sprint and they'll take off. And well, there's no way that you were hundred percent. So there's a couple of different ways you can do that. One is all about is, is obviously always have them on the clock. Any of your sprint work, have them on the clock. If you ran a flying third per se, so you're a build up 30, you build up for let's say 10 yards and then you sprint 30 yards and then you decelerate for 10 yards. If you're going to do that, then give them a time from the 30, you know, in the, in the 30 yard portion. And then, make them aware of that time so that the next time they can't run it any slower. And, um, that's a good way to hold them accountable and it makes them understand, okay, I didn't rest long enough because I wasn't able to run, run it that time again. I think flying thirties are great for baseball because a lot of times when we have to get up to full speed, it doesn't, it's not just a, you know, if we're going to run say 30 yards or whatever, if we're going to stretch out, a, you know, if we're going to, uh, you know, stretch out a double, we're kind of rolling into that, that speed. It's not, you're not full speed straight out the box. You know, you're kind of rolling, 
And then by the time you hit second, you know, that's where you're kind of, or you hit first, sorry. That's where you're, you're really going, you have to go. Or if I'm leg out a triple. So I really like flying thirties. I think it's great. I hate the 60. I think it's the stupidest. I also hate the 40. So I'll, I'll, I won't be, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll make sure I don't single out just baseball. I'll, I'll also call out ball. I think the 40 is stupid. And I think the 60 is stupid. And there's a bunch of reasons and I will, I won't list them here, but, but I do, I really like flying thirties. I think it's a great way to, to train. And, and so that's, that's my best advice is really just make sure your guys sprint and then make sure make sure they go full speed, you know, make sure they're, make sure they understand what 100% speed feels like. If you can get bands that will help with over speed. So if you can get guys pulling from the front, Guys don't get to feel that a lot. I, I think that's great. And then any uphill, I, I, my high school, I'm so thankful for my high school. We had a, we had a hill right to the left of left field. So we could run and it was a perfect slope and it was probably about 30 yards. So it was just perfect. I, every day I think about that because I wish I had that field you know, ready for me now. I, it's hard for me to find it. I haven't found a hill that I can, you know, that, that I like here in, in Arizona. Mm-hmm. Hill sprints are just phenomenal baseball because it's great um, for the lead leg to, to lead leg block. And, you know, so it helps with, with throwing and it helps with, you know, just the, the hip extension that you have to get when you're sprinting up a hill is the same, you know, it, strength and extension that you need for throwing a pitch or hitting a ball. So, you know, those hill sprints are, are great. If you have access to, to a hill or, or a treadmill, you know, on an upward slope, you know, those things are great. So those are things that I, I would love over speed. If you can, if you have bands, get, get guys over speed where they can feel themselves going faster than they would normally run any sort of hill sprints. And then again, like I said, understanding recovery that's that's what i'm telling you man I, high school guys they just they always think that working you know being tired means that they're getting better and that's not the case but just because you're really tired doesn't mean that you got faster that day mm-hmm. they kind of equate those two things and it's really hard because that's what everyone's telling them like oh if you threw up you had a good workout and it's like, no, but that's not the intention of the workout today. Like we're trying to get faster. You got to run fast. You don't, I don't need you to be tired. I don't need you to be throwing up. Um, that's, that's counterintuitive to what we're trying to accomplish. So no, I love that. that's my advice on that. Oh, for sure. For sure. And so, uh, you know, one other thing I wanted to ask you before we get into the, the advice section is, is I'm always looking for different competitions to add into our practices and usually just stuff that we do normally, or just things that we can add to it that, that just adds that element of, Hey, it's, it's, it's going to heighten awareness because you're competing against somebody, but it's also fun. And it's also something that we can track and we can measure. So what are some of the favorite competitions that you guys do? So people think I'm crazy. And like I said, even when I started, people would look at me insane because I would have those nine and 10 year olds out there doing a dynamic warm up before we threw or, you know, after we threw or whatever. And people were like, we have a game in 10 minutes. Like, why are they not taking BP? Why are they not doing whistles? Why are they not, you know? Mm-hmm. So 
So one of the things that I implemented recently was we play dodgeball pregame <laughs> and, and our kids love it. And people looked at me like I was insane. And we made it to the, you know, we had a bunch of 2023s. So they were eighth graders playing in the fresh nationals in the fall, uh, in September. And we got to the championship game and, and lo and behold, we're in Indian uh, stadium playing dodgeball, you know, pregame. And, uh, it's something that I, I, I love for our guys. I love it for their movement. I love it for their creativity. I want to make sure my guys are thinking outside the box as much as I can. They get taught. I, I'm with, I, I think Steve Johnson is an absolute genius at Lake Kick Nation. I just, I think he's, I hope one day that I can work with him side by side and do something amazing because I just think he's an amazing person and I'm with him and that the school system is really broken. And these guys are taught to think inside the box for hours at a time for, for days on days, you know, five days a week for eight hours at a time. They're taught to think inside the box, inside the box, inside the box. So one of the things that I've done from the, from the jump is as soon as I get my guys. And again, this is, goes back to the warm up. A lot of times it's in the warm up. I try to get them thinking outside the box right away. Sure. So I try to give them a game that forces them to almost create the rules on the fly. So I don't like games with a bunch of rules because that's all that's all they get. They show up to school and they got to sit right here and they got to raise their hand here and they got so right away I give them some sort of game. So that's why I like dodgeball and then I try to have them create their own type of dodgeball. So one time we played three-way dodgeball. So there were three teams instead of just playing the the structural dodgeball that you know it. Oh, wow. So you can get hit from any direction. Yeah, you can get hit from any direction. It's not just right in front of you. There's guys to your left and there's guys to your right. We played dodgeball where we put constraints. So we'll, I'll take a big uh, one of those kickboxing bags and I'll put it somewhere on the dodgeball court. And they've got to figure out a way to, you know, to get either I can hide behind that and then make my throw from behind that. I could jump over it and try to make a throw from, you know, and, and the guys, obviously, if you're throwing the dodgeball, you gotta, you gotta miss that, that constraint. You gotta miss that you know, blocker right there on the field. I'll do random things like that. One of the games that I love that we play is uh, or the kids actually love it. We play med we call it med volleyball so you take a medicine ball we take the soft toss net and we put them side by side two soft toss nets and that becomes our volleyball net or you know and so now we're getting a strength and explosion um they got to decelerate the medicine ball that's a really great training tool for them it's great for their core it's and it's fun as heck right i whenever we start playing whenever we start playing that game we never want to stop. It's great. It's one of our, it's one of our favorite games. It's one of the kids fun favorite games. And I, I love it too. I get in there and play with them. So that's a great game. Any of the hit tracks games are always going to be fun. You make up your own hit track games. You know, you can do any, any sort of number of things with that. You know, I love the launch angle game where you've got to force them um, match specific launch angles so that they're not just in there swinging unconsciously. Mm-hmm. Um, I want thinking about barrel placement and ball placement and things like that. So that's, that's always, that's always fun. And they always, you know, they love it. And we try to speaking of games, everything we do, we try to have some sort of competitive 
environment, you know, some sort of competitive aspect to it. So really everything's a game, <laughs> to be honest with you, with our guys. That's just the way that they're built. Our guys are just super competitive. They always want to, they always want to compete. So they're always asking me, Hey, can we play this game? Can we play that game? So those are some games that we, we really enjoy. Like I said, dodgeball pregame, that'll get some, that'll get you some real funny looks, especially from the opponent. Cause they, they feel like you're disrespecting the, the game. That's one of the parts about me. That's really funny too, is because I'm not a baseball guy. I don't, I don't keep myself structured to the uh, typical baseball, you know, unruled stuff. Uh, you know, I kind of bring a different side where I'm not, I don't disrespect the game, but I'm just not, I'm not worried about appearances when it comes to something like that. Like if dodgeball is going to help us get loose and have fun. And, and like I said, think out of the box out the jump, then that's what we're going to do. And like I said, my guys like it and they play well and, and they play loose. And, uh, you know, that's one of the things that I, uh, I enjoy and they enjoy it. So we continue to do it. Definitely. Anything that you can make fun and measurable, I completely all in on. And so before you go, I would like to, you know, talk about some changes that you've made lately. And and that's something that especially during the well, I would say off season, but during the training season that we get into is we're trying to look back and go, man, so what did I do last year at this time? And and what did I do, you know, in season that that I need to really concentrate on getting better at? So what is something that, you know, if you're looking back, you're reflecting on, you know, maybe the last couple of months or the last couple of years, what's something that you have learned along the way that you can share with us? And, you know, just something that, that you're really excited about. You know, I'll be honest. I usually use ABCA in January and AFCA, which is also in January, to reflect on those things and kind of decide what direction we'll focus on for the following year. But I will say one of the biggest things that has come up with me this training season is simplifying so that they can go fast and they can get to that unconscious competence of movement. Mm-hmm. that's been one of the things that's changed. I think for me over the last couple of years was as I gathered information and I began to, you know, study some of these great guys, the Cressies and the, you know, Zach, the camp over at TCU and all, all these guys, there's just so much great information out there. Um, as I begin to study all these guys, I begin to sort of realize that, the best thing you can do for your athletes is make sure that they understand and they have a clear vision of what they need to accomplish. They don't need so much variety as, as and it, and it all, all of it is, um, it all swings on the ability of the athlete to, or not just the ability, but the, the level of engagement of the athlete. There are some athletes that, you know, the less engaged they are, then the more variety you probably need. And the more engaged they are, then the less you need. And so, but you just have to be conscious of it and, and not just throw out, not just throw out something new because it looks, it looks cool or, you know, because it worked or, or because it worked for somebody else, you know, because it worked for one guy, 
don't just throw it out there and think, okay, it's going to work for this group of guys over here because that's that that doesn't always hold true, and it typically doesn't. You know, one of the things that I uh, kind of like you said, probably about two years ago, I really you know decided that you know undefined process and process variation equals poor results. So if I haven't defined you know what it is we're trying to accomplish. And then I start to add uh, things on top of that. I'm, I'm not going to get the result in the in the long run. There's going to be times where certain guys, man, it doesn't matter what you do with them. <laughs> They're just special guys, and sure. yeah. you could throw all types of stuff at them. But yeah. then, but for the most part, you know, if you're trying to reach a, a vast amount of athletes, having an undefined process and then adding process variation, it's just going to equal you know poor results. And so. I try to make sure that I, again, I, I try to make sure that, you know, we're really big on goal setting. All my guys have, they set goals almost monthly. And sometimes those goals are big picture goals. Like I want to do a better job taking the trash out, you know, for my mom. And uh, sometimes the goals are specific. Like I want to reach 80 by next month, you know, so it, it all, you know, every, I challenge them in a different way. And anytime we set goals, I try to make them think on multiple planes and not just, it's not just always about sports. It's not just always about whatever sport it is that you're playing. It's, you know, I have a, a female basketball player at Princeton and I, she set goals for the beginning of the year to go 50, 40, 90. That was, that was her big goal. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, those are the things that we talk about always. We always talk about goals and, and how to accomplish them. And, and then, you know, we come up with a plan. So, <clears throat> so that's big, you know, for a goal setting. I love it. And so if there's anybody who wants to get in touch with you, just kind of reach out about, you know, training or just getting in touch with you to talk with you about anything in general, uh, what would be the best way to do so? On Twitter, I am uh, 3D Robinson. Mm -hmm. I believe I think I'm at 3D Robinson or is it Robinson 3D? 3D Robinson. Let me check that. Is it 3D Robinson? Yep. Okay. And then, uh, Instagram, uh, 3D sports performance. I believe it is on Instagram. Yeah. You can always reach out to me on there. Uh, I do a really poor job on social media. I, I feel like, in relation to some of these other guys do a phenomenal job posting content. And I've consistently told myself that I would do better, but I always, uh, I, I get sucked back into really, I just want to do a good job with the guys that I have and I'm and it's just me. I don't have a staff. I don't have somebody else that could take video or do anything like that. So every time I pick up the phone, I feel like it takes away from, from my guys and I don't want to ever take away from, from helping them, you know, achieve their goals. So I, I tend to do a bad job of, of getting video stuff and posting it, but I'm trying to do better. Trying to do better. All right. Well, I'm just going to open up for the mic for you. And is there anything else that you'd like to tell our listeners before you go? Yeah, I, I think I want to just end it by, I said this, I think I posted this on Twitter just recently that there are no bad teachings just bad receptions or perceptions of the teaching. Mm -hmm. None of it is wrong. It's just different. 
And different may not work for a lot of people, 99% of the athletes. But if it changes one life, I don't think you can look at it as bad. So if I'm teaching something poorly, but it's, and it's poor for 9% of the athletes that I work with, but it reaches one life and it changes one life, that life can change the world. So we have to do a better job on Twitter and Instagram and even just with our relationships on slamming other people's thoughts and ideas because in reality, we're all just trying to reach, reach an athlete. We're all just trying to make a difference in someone's life. Nobody's trying to teach bad, have bad teaching. No one's trying to make people less athletic or less fast or better or less good at baseball or any of that stuff. We're all trying to achieve the same goal. And so we have to understand that Man, your teaching might be a little bit better than mine, but honestly, if if my athlete can receive it at a way better than you, the way that you deliver your message, mm-hmm. then there's nothing wrong with the way that I'm teaching that because I'm all just trying to we're all just trying to present ideas and our thoughts in a way that can be received by our athletes because if they can receive them and apply them to life, to their to sports and beyond then we've achieved something great. Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. Before you go, I'd love to be able to get in touch with you, and we have several different ways of doing so. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at AOTC underscore podcast. You can join the AOTC Coaches Facebook group. And if you want to be a part of the mini clinic emails, both of those links are listed below. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a rating or review to help others find and stay ahead of the curve.